We are very glad to see that there are so many Harry Potter readers, enthusiasts. Uh, we're also very glad that the, uh, the Dean of Liberal Arts is with us here this afternoon. And Randy, it's very good of you to, uh, to come. My pleasure. Uh, and I will introduce our participants in rather reverse order, uh, beginning with Susan Napier. Uh, we're very glad to have Susan back. She used to teach at the University of Texas. Susan was the one that got us into Harry Potter in the first place. In fact, I'm not sure that I would have read Harry Potter had it not been for, uh, had it not been for Susan. Uh, we want to uh, also introduce another publishing panjandrum. This is Raj Barzagardi, who is the publisher at Taurus. And it's Raj, uh, and I hope after reading this list, that everyone will break out in wild applause because Iraj is the publisher of Adventures with Britannia, more Adventures with Britannia. I'm not there yet, still more adventures, yet more adventures, penultimate adventures, ultimate adventures, resurgent adventures, irrepressible adventures, resplendent adventures, and effervescent adventures. <laughs> this, this brings us down to the next uh, volume, and we already have a suggestion. Serendipitous adventures. <laughs> <laughs> or if you, how about, or, or what about magical? And magical is another possibility. Uh, Raj, we'll let you think about this. Uh, we are extraordinarily pleased that Nigel Newton would come to all the way from uh, London to speak to us this afternoon about Harry Potter in the context of Bloomsbury Publishing. Uh, this is a remarkable publishing firm itself. Some of you will have heard uh, yesterday afternoon a little bit about the history of, the, of Bloomsbury. This afternoon it's a little bit more specific. Perhaps the reason why Bloomsbury is most famous at all. This is uh, Nigel Newton on Harry Potter. Well, good afternoon and a very warm welcome uh, to all of you. As you can see, uh, we, we love all of our children equally. And every, every house is uh, represented in my scarf. Um, so this is the story of the creation of a, a leading uh, global uh, piece of publishing. And so um, as it's the inside story, uh, may I have your permission that nothing I say will appear on social media um, or any other form of repetition? Uh, is, is that okay with everyone? Thank you. Um, Harry Potter stories have a, a tendency to get taken up. And I had the misfortune once of being persuaded by my colleagues in Australia uh, to do an interview on the radio. And I thought, well, I really don't want to do that. I've never kind of sought uh, that sort of publicity. But they, they said, come on, it's just Brisbane. And I thought, well, OK, it, I, I can talk there. Nothing will happen. 
And um, I told the story of how I received a phone call on about the sixth Harry Potter book from uh, GCHQ, which is uh, British Secret Intelligence. It's our equivalent of the National Security Agency. So they're the people who, uh, who listen, listen to everything. <laughs> including this. And, um, and they rang up and said uh, this was D-Day minus about six days. And uh, we kept these books very strictly embargoed, as, as you all know. And um, they said, we've detected the complete text of the next Harry Potter on the internet. And I thought, oh my goodness. Uh, aside from being surprised to receive a phone call from government communications headquarters, and indeed their helpful attitude. Uh, so I got our editor down and we, he read out a bit and we thought, thank goodness it was a fabrication. Because uh, uh, as I'm sure you know, people wrote entire books of their version of what the next Harry Potter would be. Uh, you know, several of them, it was quite extraordinary. Um, so. Uh, Harry Potter was, uh, was being protected uh, by the Secret Service. This was pretty good. So I told that story, and to my horror, uh, the next week it was on the front page of the Sunday Times in London. <laughs> and so some stringer in, in um, Brisbane had picked it up and kind of sold the story on. And I was deeply embarrassed because it hadn't been my intention to... Um, exploit that story uh, in in the home market, as it were. Um, so that's why you may not uh, you may not say anything to anyone um, and make me regret these stories. So what is most startling, considering the heights of Pottermania today, is quite how ordinary um, its arrival and reception was as it began its life. I introduced our children's um, editor, who was uh, a brilliant man, is a brilliant man, called Barry Cunningham, uh, to the literary agent Christopher Little, uh, the wonderfully named Christopher Little, who, uh, so the, the legend goes, was picked by Joe Rowling flipping through the Writers and Artists Yearbook, which is a guidebook to uh, literary agents, amongst other things. and the. Uh, the, the, the story goes that she was taken by his name, Christopher Little, Christopher Robin. It sounds, uh, sounds like a, a sort of man for a children's book. Um, and he sent this book in. We were sent the chapters uh, that lead to up to Diagon Alley, um, as I recall. I'm just going to try this doodah. Um, and, um, Am I in the way of my own slides? Um, and uh, they, we, we couldn't afford chairs in those days. We were, the children's bits was at the top of the 20th century Fox building in Soho Square in London. So the four of them were sitting on bean bags and they handed uh, just the one uh, typescript, handed the pages around to each other as each finished the page. And they became incredibly excited. Um, as they uh, read this book. Um, and so they, were, they decided to submit it to our editorial meeting. Um, and they were trying to send a signal that it would win the Booker Prize of 
publishing, um, which is of children's publishing, which is called the Smarties Prize. And Smarties, if you don't know, are like M&Ms. They're little hard shell coated bits of chocolate. And they sponsor this, uh, this children's literary prize. So they uh, rolled the manuscript up, typescript up like that, sellotaped to one end, scotch tape to one end, and filled the middle um, with Smarties, uh, and then topped it and put a ribbon on it. So I was sent home. I chaired the editorial committee meeting was the next day. And I had this thing I was supposed to read. But I think I couldn't be bothered. So I handed it to my eight-year-old daughter, Alice, who is now 30. And um, she floated down the stairs uh, sometime later on a kind of um, uh, a high, saying, uh, Dad, you've never published anything this uh, good before, and and wrote me. <laughs> that that was quite awkward to explain to some of our other authors, and she wrote me this note, um, which if you can't read it says the excitement in this book made me feel warm inside. I think it is possibly one of the best books an eight slash nine year old could read. Um, so the next day. Uh, Barry and everyone else in the room who had read it asked me to authorize an advance of one and a half thousand pounds um, for the rights. And I said, well, yeah, Alice likes it. And, uh, and uh, I did. And um, in fact, her agent played hardball and pushed us up to two and a half thousand pounds. So we got it. Now, what we didn't know at the time was that um, eight competitors, or I've even read in a, in a tweet, I think, from the author that it was 12 competitors of ours had turned down Harry Potter. So we were in blissful ignorance of that fact. Um, so really, our only claim to fame is that we were the ones who didn't say no. Um, so thank God for that. You remember the, uh, the EMI turned down the Beatles. Um, so I'm sure there's nothing shameful in our 12 competitors. Uh, but I mean, what a load of idiots. How could you? <laughs> uh, who, who in this room didn't get it um, immediately? So um, uh, the, um, this was at the time when email was invented, and we all had PCs sitting on our desks for the first time, or some of us. And our children's marketing manager who I'm afraid is a bit blurry here, Rosamond Walker, uh, emailed us this newfangled technology every day saying, I know you think Harry Potter is good, but you don't understand. It's really, really, really good. We, d we just thought, oh, God, why, why does she go on? And um, in order to demonstrate that we, we did know it was really, really good, though we never dreamt it would sell uh, you know, probably 50,000, let alone 500 million, this was a letter written in March 1997, so three months before um, the book came out on whenever it was, June 26th, um, to the literary reviewer of children's books for the Sunday Times, uh, telling them what a remarkable book it was. So we, we knew uh, that it was good. We just didn't know it was big. And one of our leading uh, bookshop chains at the time, Otakers, were persuaded to uh, put the book in their windows. 
Um, and I think our initial print run was 700 hardbacks and two and a half thousand uh, paperbacks. Now there was a story there, um, which is that the first uh, print run had a, a major error in it. And so the books had to be junked. And so we did what the British have always done in such situations and sent them to Australia. Um, uh, so, uh, with prisoners and unwanted things. Um, so, Australia is the home of the most valuable uh, first print run in the world, and having those errors makes them identifiable um, to uh, secondhand booksellers who know what to look for. Um, but this did start to take off. Um, it, it really took off uh, not due to anything we did, but due to uh, the first children who read it told other children about it. Playground marketing, if you want to uh, <laughs> give it a name. And um, so it was the brilliance of the text itself and not the marketing. But um, it got to about 30,000 copies by uh, the, the Christmas following that June uh, launch. And nothing can ever compete with the power of, of, of word of mouth. And it did win the Smarties Prize. So my colleagues were absolutely right. In fact, it, it kept every time the new book came out, that kept winning the Smarties Prize. It finally got embarrassing. And we stopped submitting them to give other uh, people a chance. Um, J.K. Rowling did her first literary event uh, in, um, at Edinburgh in August 1997, just a few weeks after publication in the TV there, and about 20 children appeared, the early adopters, contrasting with the tens of thousands who would appear at events in later years. Um, now, let me find another slide. Uh, this was a, a, a van we rented to tell people, actually it's a book ahead, that's Azkaban, uh, to drive around London spreading the news. Um, she, uh, my daughter as the early adopter, um, in, she was the children's library assistant, probably aged about nine now, um, invited Joe Rowling to come and speak at her school, Putney High School in London, uh, and she did. Uh, a, a, a deal was done with Scholastic, the, the great American publisher of Harry Potter, and as you know, they published it a year later and under the title of The, um, the Sorcerer's Stone. I think later on there was some uh, feeling in America that the adaptations of certain words that would happen in the normal uh, process of transatlantic editing uh, was inappropriate. And I think uh, jerseys started being called jerseys again instead of you know, sweaters or whatever uh, it was being changed to. Um, so the first big uh, press launch came along, I think, with the paperback of the Chamber of Secrets. Um, and it, it, it's notoriously hard to get press coverage for a paperback launch because that's coming uh, uh, many months after the hardcover. Uh, but we did, we had an event. 
obviously at platform nine and three quarters at King's Cross Station, um, which we had to advance in the great children's television program, uh, Blue Peter uh, came and filmed that. And uh, there was a, a Hogwarts steam engine, pumpkin soup, Dumbledore um, was present, and a nationwide tour culminating with 800 uh, children coming in Manchester to an event which was a record uh, at the time. Now, um, one of the really exciting moments was the, um, the prisoner of Azkaban. And, um, and we did have a really great idea then. Sorry, I'll get out of the way. Um, you can see, okay. Um, uh, which is there were stories that children were playing truant from school on the day a new Harry Potter would come out. So we decided to launch the book at 3.45 p.m. so they could come after school. And booksellers were just completely <laughs> stupefied, you know, 3.45 p.m. Um, but they obeyed. And, um, and we knew we'd really made it big when the Daily Telegraph the next day ran a photograph on the front page of a very long line of children outside the Lion and Unicorn bookshop, a small bookshop in Richmond uh, to the west of London. And suddenly we were uh, big news. It may, in fact, it made the news on television, BBC One, ITV, Channel 4. And um, it doesn't seem remarkable now, but it seemed very remarkable at the time that we beat the record of Hannibal, the novel by Thomas Harris out a month previously, uh, which sold 54,000 copies in week one, and Azkaban sold 64,000 in the first two and a half days. So this was, uh, the press loved it. Their headline was, Hannibal eaten for breakfast by 13-year-old. <laughs> So Harry Potter at this moment uh, reclaimed the supremacy of the book over the Game Boy, which was the phenomenon of its time, and effectively made reading cool again, and especially uh, for boys who, who stopped regarding it as the province of their uh, sister if they had one. And this has driven a huge increase in reading uh, by children and may even have a ripple effect to this day. Um, so uh, one of the great uh, excitements came next with the publication of um, The Goblet of Fire. And by then, the press were all over us. That Harry Potter was such a big phenomenon um, that our trash was being searched for uh, details of when the next book would come out. Um, and there were real uh, problems. I think I'm going to. I mean, who, who wears a scarf indoors, anyway? Um, there's a real uh, problem with people, the press in particular, trying to find out the plot before the books came out. So we, we had um, huge uh, secrecy. Um, we didn't produce any more advance uh, proof copies. We placed all the ads without even the title being known. What the title was was a big secret. Um, Joe Rowling held an international press conference in April that year and gave away just three uh, details about uh, HP4, as it was known. 
that just created a, a feeding frenzy of anticipation. We kept the manuscript in a bank vault, um, and and that was really for real. You know, we had break-ins and everything. In fact, we we only allowed four people uh, in our own company to read it prior to publication on a need-to-know basis. The the editors and the uh, production people. Um, so the, the great fun came with the launch of that book when we did the Hogwarts tour. And we really went for this full on. So I put together um, a steam train. I borrowed this uh, beautiful locomotive from someone, um, commissioned this sign, which I still have sitting at home, and then uh, tried to put together a, basically a sort of Edwardian train borrowing cars from um, different people. This is the um, dining car. We, we were on the road for probably three or four, five days. Um, there is um, Joe. Um, that is my son, William. I, th I thought I'd take the whole family. Um, that obscure head at the back is uh, me, and these are, that's Rosamond Walker. Emma Mathewson, um, who was the editor, the brilliant editor of, uh, of the Harry Potter books. So it was unbelievable fun. We, we set out on this train. Um, it's quite difficult taking a steam train around because you have to fit on the tracks between these very fast intercity trains and not get run over. So it's, it's a real art. Um, and we went to Didcot, which some of you may know is a station on the way to Oxford. And at each station, um, a thousand children had won free tickets to be the people who could go on the train and get their books signed. And very topically for the events of last week, uh, the car that I borrowed for the actual signings was a, a kind of Edwardian library car. And it was the train car in which the armistice uh, at the end of World War I in the, the forest of Compiègne that we've all been seeing pictures of in the last uh, week um, was the car. So the kids would come in at one door, walk down to that big desk where uh, General Foch and all signed the disastrous uh, uh, armistice or, or that led to the disastrous Versailles Treaty. Uh, so it's quite a historic carriage, and then they would get off at the other end. And we proceeded uh, around the country. We went uh, eventually, I think, through uh, Crewe. We went to York. We went to Perth in Scotland. Um, and every step of the way, there were uh, the, a thousand children waiting. Uh, once, when we were in the middle of the countryside, uh, there were about 50 uh, people um, at the very place where we had to stop to put water into the steam engine. Um, that's how they work. And, um, and, and we thought, how did these people know we'd be right here in the middle of nowhere? And uh, the locomotive driver explained, no, no, they have no idea who you are and don't care. They're train spotters. And they heard there was a steam train, so they came to write down. <laughs> 34027, the number of, of that engine. So it goes to show you shouldn't always assume you're the center of events. So we were, 
front page news for every day uh, for four days on the train and sold 372,000 uh, on the train in the first day. So, uh, and it, so you would go from this mayhem on these platforms and then when the train would put, pull out, you'd just have sudden peace again and a, a man uh, appeared with a glass of champagne. There were just about, well, there you see all the people who are on the train and we had sleeping carriages and it was, uh, we were very independent. So, um, what's next? So this is the Order of the Phoenix. Um, so the way I found out, because uh, I never would really know, uh, nor did my colleagues, when the next book was going to be finished. Um, and part of the thing about being a publisher is you don't press an author, say, you know, when's it going to be? When You don't want to put pressure. So you never ask an author uh, when their next book will come. Um, uh, but one day at my desk, I got a phone call from Christopher Little, and he said, Nigel, can I meet you at the Pelican Pub? And I said, yeah, sure. Uh, did you say the Pelican Pub? And that was the place where we would meet for these handovers of the manuscript. So I turned to Jelly, uh, rushed and got in my car and drove out to the Pelican. And he was there with two pints set up at the bar, and a innocuous Sainsbury's supermarket carrier bag oh. sitting uh, on the, at his feet. Um, and he, um, uh, we, we never discussed the bag at all. Um, we just had our drinks, chatted about the weather as one does. Uh, but, but when I left, I left carrying the Sainsbury's bag. So it was a, a classic dead drop. Um, I'd, I'd read my John le Carre. I knew how to do this. Mm. And um, so then we had a, a promotion of the book. We took over the Albert Hall, uh, where four and a half thousand people sit, and we invited children for free, but on a kind of ticketed basis from all over the country, trying to represent all regions and all different types of everything, and it was really great. And I think Stephen Fry um, interviewed her on the stage. Um, about that time, the British Booksellers Association had its annual conference in Brighton, and I was just down uh, the coast near somewhere called Seaford in Sussex, and um, Joe Rowling came, and also Michael Ondaatje. Uh, and that, believe it or not, is me uh, sitting on the right. Um, and uh, so that was a very exciting um, launch. Um, J.K. Rowling, uh, the, the most talented person I know, brilliant, intelligent, funny, astonishing, hardworking, sense of humor, fun. It was, uh, it, the, these were very um, exciting times. So, um, what I was going to try to dwell on next, um, I, this was a, a launch we had at Edinburgh Castle, um, and it was a kind of sonnet du mare effect with images of Harry being flashed up onto the, uh, the walls of the castle. Um, I was going to reflect on some of the 
um, qualities of the book, um, as uh, Roger asked me to, to do so when he invited me um, to speak to you uh, today. Um, and I, I think uh, part of why it's endured is the emphasis on human qualities uh, in Harry Potter, uh, and on the other hand, the accentuation of your qualities as an individual, resourcefulness, intelligence, and it's more important, uh, bedfellow, common sense, and most importantly, self-reliance. Um, at the end of the day, it's you who takes on the world and not the team, and it's Harry alone who controls his destiny, not his group of friends, as he squares up to Lord Voldemort. Camaraderie and friendship are nevertheless the qualities that underpin um, the world of Hogwarts and the intense friendships that are formed at school. The psychological foundation of Harry's existence is his love, uh, the, the love that his dead parents hold for him, the love that sustains him through his life and giving him the strength uh, to win his battles. But life at Hogwarts is about fun and circumstance and wit and humor and practical jokes uh, as well. Um, so we can just remember that we can all be Harry if we believe in magic or God or in uh, our personal battles of good versus evil. But if we can't be Harry, then we can be his stalwart friends, Ron and Hermione, uh, always at his side, and they're pretty good and pretty admirable too. Um, the characters are, uh, are um, so powerful um, in these books. Without Ron and Hermione, is Harry fully Harry? Every reader projects themselves, or every child, onto one of them. And we truly can't bear the thought of the possibility of any of them dying. And it's such a relief that J.K. Rowling, uh, who does dispatch uh, beloved characters without fear or sentiment, also allows them all to, to live. They are the heart of the stories. They're our route into this amazing world. And their journey um, is our journey. So um, if, uh, if you like, um, I think one of the things that we could um, dwell on is the, uh, the, the position that we find ourselves in 21 years later. So 21 years have flashed by and the whole, or is it? 22, 21 uh, from the UK publication. So it's only with time that we can begin to um, understand its true uh, scope and breadth, breadth and its openness to appreciation time and again. New generations are discovering uh, the books the whole time. Um, the, I think in, in Britain alone there are 700,000 new eight-year-olds every year, a remarkable statistic I mugged up on. And um, so the kids who are uh, reading these books today are, are, the, are the children of the early 
readers who, who like all um, classics, uh, mothers and fathers want to pass on to their, um, their kids, whether it's C.S. Lewis or J.R. Tolkien or A.A. Milne, the, um, the enthusiasms, the books that comforted and enthralled them in their own childhoods. And so the phenomenon seems to, to actually be, be growing. 21 years later, um, we seem to be selling uh, more uh, books than ever and, and aided by the, the wonderful website of, of the author Pottermore and, um, and the films uh, which have been so remarkable and even the subsequent films now of the Fantastic Beasts and the Crimes of Grindelwald. It's, uh, it's staying alive. Um, so I think with our, um, our perspective uh, that like so many uh, books, you see them differently as you, as you read them at different points in your life. Um, we see Snape differently, um, those who've been heartbroken or thwarted in love. Most children want to be in Gryffindor, um, which was somewhere in my scarf. Oddly, nearly all of our sales team at Bloomsbury, who are, of course, adults, proudly proclaim they're in Slytherin. Explain that. So maybe that says something about salespeople. Um, so many of the young people uh, working in the creative industries today are part of Harry Potter's living legacy. It's been a huge part of our, um, our destiny um, as a company at Bloomsbury. Rather strangely, we've, uh, we found ourselves with um, 100 million pounds in the bank and we, we reinvested this money that we'd earned in the most unexpected uh, and exciting of circumstances in, in very different things and we became a, um, a, a large academic publisher um, as well. Um, and I've just been over at your wonderful library uh, uh, talking about our academic digital uh, resources. Um, but uh, it, that, that was all a gift to us, and it's been true around the world. It's been true for Scholastic here in uh, America and Gallimard in France, Carlson in Germany. Germany was one of the most fascinating episodes of the uh, publication of Harry Potter because there would be a, either a one-year or later a six-month <coughs> gap between the publication of the English edition or the American edition as they became simultaneous um, and the translated editions. And so the appetite of children in France or Germany to know what happened next was as great as anywhere else. So they just lumped it and bought it in English. So we were selling one million copies in hardcover in English to German eight-year-olds. It was <laughs> completely extraordinary. Uh, and you can imagine the furore in the Académie Française when <laughs> Harry Potter in English went to number one above uh, great works of French culture and thinking. Um, but that's uh, what happened. So um, people often ask me how long Harry Potter will last. Of course, I have um, no idea any more than we had any idea that it would be uh, the big thing that it's become. 
but 20 years since that um, publication, it, is, uh, it, it, it looks clear that it has entered the canon um, with Tolkien and Milne and Dahl and Lewis. And I think we can safely uh, declare Harry Potter. Uh, there you see uh, all of, uh, this was the um, adult edition that we did. There was a funny moment when someone from Bloomsbury saw an adult on the London Underground reading Harry Potter hidden behind a copy of The Economist. <laughs> <laughs> and so we said, aha. And, and we then produced these editions, which you see at the bottom, that were designed to look adults because they have photographs instead of drawings uh, for their jackets. I think they're rather beautiful. Anyway, so then that people were fascinated that we'd done an adult edition. And it's, you know, there, there are more adults than children, let's face it, so uh, that was a good thing. And then we were, there are the editions that uh, many of you all know of the um, scholastic editions, the Sorcerer's Stone. Um, so my, my final, uh, ah, and this is the thing you absolutely have to get. It's just out. It's the Tales of Beetle the Bard, illustrated by um, Chris Riddell. Now, this is only available in Britain. Scholastic have their own, uh, also very good illustrator for Beetle the Bard. Um, uh, we've worked together with Scholastic on Jim Kay's beautiful illustrated editions, which are one of the great uh, phenomena of, uh, of the present for us as people buy these picture books. But we used a different artist, um, Chris Riddell, and look at those magnificent colors. Um, so I will, ah, here are some uh, interesting Harry Potter facts. Now we actually did Latin and ancient Greek editions of Harry Potter. I'm sure many of you uh, used them in school. It was staggering how well they sold because it was a perfect vehicle for teaching uh, Latin. And there are, as you all know, 1,100,086 words in the Harry Potter series. I know because I counted personally. Um, and there have been 35,000 Harry Potter book night um, events. So on June, the, I think it was the 26th, 2017, a year ago, um, I tried to uh, reassemble uh, a lot of the original people who've all, or many of whom have moved on to new jobs or careers or lives. And we gathered in Bedford Square. So uh, these are our offices uh, very near the British Museum near Tottenham Court Road tube station. Um, I think those three windows there are uh, my office. And we have about four buildings there, 450 of us. And this is the um, Harry Potter team um, who, uh, who made the whole thing happen uh, at different points over 20 years. So it's now 15 months later and um, it's exciting to say the whole thing uh, is still as powerful ever and you're all here in this room so um, this is evidence of the enduring appeal of the 
Harry Potter phenomenon. And I think we can safely declare Harry Potter a classic for all time. Thank you. Yeah.